Hello, welcome again to Bestowing the Brush. I'm Dallas Noctegal, your host on the show. I have an exciting guest today. I wonder if any of you have heard of the In a Large Room Retreat. It's a Charlotte Mason gathering that serves Central Maryland, Baltimore, North Virginia, and DC. And it happens every year, or at least it happened this past year in February. And it's been going on for a few years. And the founder of that retreat is Nicole Handfield, whom I get to speak with today. And I'm really excited to share with you our conversation that we had. Nicole started listening to this podcast a few months ago, and she said, hey, I really like the podcast. And so I asked her to be on, and I couldn't be happier that we got to chat. Also, thanks to Nancy Kelly of the Sage Parnassus blog and Nicole Hanfield, I'll be traveling up to Gary, South Dakota this summer to help her teach a drawing workshop. I'm so excited for that, and we'll finally get to meet and I will get to meet maybe some of you. I am very excited for the opportunity and I'm very thankful. We mention in this episode a little bit about her contributions to Charlotte Mason poetry. And since the recording of this conversation, she has actually published more there, specifically about nature notebooks. So I will link to all these resources in my show notes. And I encourage you to check out one of my favorites that she's written called Into God's Out of Doors. Nicole also compiled a book called Charlotte Mason and the Great Recognition. She collaborated with a few different writers for that, and she has just done a wonderful job bringing this important idea to many home educators and schoolrooms. Today, we're going to talk about drawing in the Nature Journal a little bit. And then we want to address nature lore and the role that that plays in this whole puzzle. So a little bit about Nicole is that she is a wife and mother and she has four children. Is that right, Nicole? Yep. So she homeschools them in the Charlotte Mason method. She's been reading Charlotte Mason for about six years and implementing it. She is a sporadic contributor to charlottemasonpoetry.org. And she has also compiled and written and collected a book called The Great Recognition. We're just glad that we can connect over technology and talk about our common interests and glorify the Lord with these pursuits that we're doing in our homeschool rooms and in our nature notebook. So without further ado... This is Nicole Hanfield. Hi, Dallas. Thank you so much for having me. This is really exciting. Yeah, it is. So thanks for your time. My pleasure. So we want to know, Nicole, um, just kind of a short synopsis on how you got into nature journaling and what was the inspiring idea behind that. Okay, so I was gung-ho about Charlotte Mason, and I knew that as a Charlotte Mason homeschooler, my children would be keeping a nature notebook, among other things. But it wasn't until I went to a workshop at CMI that I heard the crazy idea that mothers were persons too, and that mothers should keep nature notebooks. In fact, it was recommended that mothers would keep all of the main notebooks that you would expect an older student in the Charlotte Mason method to be keeping, like including the commonplace book and also the book of centuries. 
And I was shocked when I heard that. And so Sherry Struble was teaching that workshop and it stopped me in my tracks. And I felt like she gave me permission to spend money on a nature journal for me. And so I ordered one and I haven't stopped nature notebooking since. That's so great. That's how I felt when I listened to your podcast episode. So something in Charlotte Mason education is this idea of habits, whether they're good habits or poor habits, we are cultivating them. You decided to take this idea and place it in your life as a habit. So could you talk to us about some of the ways you did that? Yeah, I was really disappointed that I just, it wasn't as regular as I wanted it to be. And so over the years, I've tried different things to really make this happen with regularity. And so I thought I would just tell you some of those things and maybe different personalities would click with one or other of the ideas. But the first thing, um, just that because you'll get better the more you practice, the more pleased you are with your product of your labor, the more it'll be like a feedback loop and you'll enjoy the process even more. So it's really important to do it with regularity. The first thing I recommend is just putting it in the schedule. So if you have a block of your day dedicated to nature notebooking or nature walks with a nature notebook time after, that's a really good idea. Some people like to put it on the schedule like connected with something else. For example, it could be that every Friday you pack a picnic lunch and you go on a hike or something with your lunch there and that's just connected with lunch you're not going to forget to eat lunch so it just always happens that way (laughs) but I felt like I needed more external accountability than just putting it in the schedule because it seemed like I was still skipping it a lot of times that was on the schedule and I really did not want to be skipping it just it seemed like things were always coming up so then I realized I needed some external accountability so I started I've done this actually a couple separate times but starting a natural history club has worked really well for making sure that it will happen because people are coming to my house with their nature notebooks. So, you know, we better be ready. And then it it does seem to happen with a lot more regularity that way. Interesting. So your natural history group, when you gather, what's the layout of that time period and how does that go? Well, we've done it a couple different ways, but the format that I really liked came out of the fact that it was a group of non-Charlotte Mason homeschoolers. We were the only Charlotte Mason family in the group. It was this crazy thing the first year we did it that a friend of mine from church had actually just started homeschooling and knew that I was into Charlotte Mason. And so she was trying to do Charlotte Mason, but she had no experience, no support. I was trying to support her in that. And then she had joined another homeschooling type group and met some moms there and they were asking her if she knew anywhere where they could get art lessons or drawing lessons and so she said oh my friend Nicole which you know it's very flattering but come on like who am I to teach drawing lessons (laughs) so only because I had shown her my nature notebook because I had really enjoyed it and, and she seemed interested so anyway so then these moms it just kind of fell into my lap And so we did that natural history club because they were looking for a drawing lesson. And I said, well, I really just want to teach drawing nature. Would that be okay? And they said, yes. And so then I thought, well, these families aren't reading nature lore at home. So I want to build that in. I didn't 
do so much nature lore as I did like a special study reading. And then we also did a nature walk together. We did the special study reading and then the nature walk. Oh, and I forgot at the beginning, we would show our notebooks from the previous week, the entries that we had done on our own. We weren't really journaling together. I like to say that we were incentivizing the practice without letting it be a get to and not a have to activity. So it wasn't that, okay, this is the time that you have to do the nature notebook. That is, we were expecting the kids to do that on their own, but you know, there was a time that, okay, here's where you show. And if you don't have anything to show, you're going to feel left out. Ah, thinking of it that way instead of a, I guess, maybe not like a reward system. Well, this is another one of my interests, you know? Yes. (laughs) How do you exactly get kids to do stuff without behaviorism incentives and rewards and so actually charlotte mason was not against rewards or consequences but they have to be like natural consequences so this is a natural consequence i mean if you don't do your nature notebook and then it's time to show the nature notebook and you don't have an entry like there's no punishment other than social awkwardness and that's life i mean that's not you're grounded for not doing your nature notebook or you know, getting a spanking or something. It's just that you don't have anything to show because you didn't do it. Yeah, I like that idea because then they get the accountability and you have the accountability. So we started to talk a little bit about nature lore. Some of my listeners maybe don't know what nature lore is. Can you give us a little rough sketch (laughs) sketch on what nature lore is as a genre of writing? Yeah, I think Oh, it is maybe not recognized as such a big part of the nature notebook because really I think that the nature notebook is inextricably linked with nature work and nature walks and the rudimentary learning of science in the elementary years. It's all connected so closely. And so that's why when I was building the Natural History Club for these non-Charlotte Mason families, I was trying to think, well, what are the essential parts of the Charlotte Mason method that you would need in order to have some success with the nature notebook? And I'm not saying I think you can or should separate out certain parts. I think that the the handbook of nature study, the Comstock book, and um, reading of nature lore and special studies, along with um, local field guides, those really are books that you think about reading inside the house, you don't necessarily associate those with nature walks and nature notebooks, but I think that they're really important parts of the whole big picture. So when I say nature lore, basically these are books that get kids interested in things that they could see outside, but they also are giving kids words for things that they're seeing because a lot of what's happening is, Rupert calls it apperception, Basically, it's it's object teaching. It's helping to put words to things that the kids may not be able to describe just from seeing it. Not necessarily yeah. that it's just learning terminology, but that's definitely a part of it. Part of it is giving them something to look for, but also part of it is helping them to put words to what they're seeing. Like the example in the Rupert article is, it's called a pot of green feathers because right. it was a pot of ferns. Right. But their only association with that shape and form was a feather. But it's like, was she wrong? Not really. Right. She had the idea. Right. So that's such a cool idea. We'll definitely be talking more about 
a pot of green feathers and Rupert later, like maybe in another episode, guys. That is, that's so different from science, maybe how we learned it or, right. um, yeah, it's just makes so much sense though. It's very concrete. Like you're getting at these things firsthand. Well, that's what I like about the major notebook. I felt like I was getting into touch with these things firsthand. And then this knowledge was really my own. Exactly. Yeah. And I, everybody always wants to know, well, which books, you know, what, what do I buy? <laughs> so yeah. Slam Dunk is the Eyes and No Eyes series for Nature Lore for elementary. Because every single term, these books, that's six books in the series, were in constant rotation. She always assigned one of those books for Nature Lore. Another one that is fun is Dallas Lore Sharp. And he writes about different times of the year, things that you can see. If you've already read all of those, I think any book that tells about something interesting in nature from someone who really cares and is in love with nature would qualify. So there are a lot of nature study readers or it just has nature study in the title and you start reading a page of it and it's really interesting. I would say that's a pretty good candidate for nature lore. So you you sort of have to be discerning and really have your living book eyeglasses on. Exactly. Okay, this is from the Teaching of Nature Study by Curry. This is from the Parents Review in 1925. Now, it is often urged that it is foolish to have children sitting indoors conning the story of the lark as told in the series Eyes and No Eyes on a glorious day when they might be out of doors. Well, perhaps it is absurd for any of us to be indoors when we might be out of doors. And I believe one is much benefited by taking advantage of a sudden burst of fine weather and going out for the whole day. Yet, in the main, school life must be based on regularity, and these sudden flights into the open are impossible, the more so if one remembers the faces of other members of the staff in a school when the botany mistress ruthlessly thieves time allotted to French or mathematics. But surely we all endeavor during the nature walk or on guide afternoons and at every other available moment to point out to the child those things of which he has read indoors. I know from experience how much easier it is to show a bird to a child when he already knows from a story he has read or an illustration he has seen what to expect. A child who cares about natural history will be glad to meet with more knowledge in a literary form. The child who doesn't, and such a child seems to me to be exceptional, is usually glad not to be teased to observe those things that have not taken hold of his mind as a literary idea. Perhaps I may be allowed to give a personal instance to illustrate what I mean. For years I have known in various bird books pictures of siskins hanging on the cones of alder trees, and whenever I have passed an alder I have looked up, half expecting to see those little yellow-green birds. Last March I was picnicking on a common not far from London and came to some alders beside a lake. Looking up expectantly, I saw a pair of siskins hanging on the alder cones, singing sweetly, just as described in Coward's Handbook. So that's a great illustration of that point. Well, oh. I told you about the Comstock handbook and the yes. nature lore books and local field guides, but there's one other thing I think every Charlotte Mason family has to have, and it's 
John Muir Law's free science curriculum. Some people don't know about Uh it, but you go to his website and you can download it for free. It is really, really great. And I haven't read it yet. He's a, he's a naturalist. Um, Many of you know who he is, but if you don't already, definitely look him up or click the link in my show notes and you will be amazed and you'll be inspired. (laughs) Was he, am I correct in thinking that he really didn't know who Charlotte Mason was, but he was kind of operating in that way? The way I heard it, that he very successful in um, doing nature notebooking and teaching and everything. And then he was invited to speak at a Charlotte Mason conference and it was in doing some reading for that or maybe at the conference that he heard a little bit about her methods and then he said something like, oh, I thought I invented this stuff or I can't believe how much what she said so long ago has in common with what I have discovered too or something like that. That just tells you that these are true ideas. And now he like puts her quotes in his presentations and he knows a lot more about her even though he's not actually a Charlotte Mason homeschooler. Her work transcends... There's a couple of resources that help you going through the Handbook of Nature Study by Anna Botsford Comstock. So it's a really big book. If you're not familiar with it, it can be really intimidating. I think I had it on my shelf for a good three years before I actually started using it regularly. It's just, it's like you don't even know where to start. So if you fall in that category and you have it, but you don't know how to use it or you don't know where to start, I would recommend with a caveat, the exploring nature with children. So are you familiar with the term bridge product? With health food, there's some foods that help people that are not familiar with health food start eating healthy, but they themselves are not what super healthy people would consider a health food. But they're a bridge product because they help the person bridge getting over to like really healthy. So like um, sweetened kombucha might be in that category. Mm -hmm. So some people would say, oh, I don't like this because it's sweetened and you shouldn't have it. But it's good to keep it in the store because some people aren't ready for the unsweetened. And so they would buy that and then eventually they can handle the unsweetened. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So I, I recommend it for people who are familiar with Charlotte Mason's methods. Now, if you're a beginner, that doesn't mean you can't use it, but just I don't recommend using it exactly as it's written. I think that it's really helpful for following by the dates. It tells you what to look up. So it will tell you what the topic is, and this would be your special study. And then it, you read about it on, you know, it'll say like turn to page 253 in the Comstock guide. And it also would say, like, if you're doing pond creatures, then it's saying, okay, today's the day you need to bring your thing for studying the pond water, you know, like a scoop and maybe um, a tray so you can look at it, dip your tray in and get some pond water and then bring it and you can look at it more closely, that kind of thing. I appreciate the, the hand-holding as a mom, you know, just give me a list of the supplies I need for this week so that I can be prepared. So I think that that's helpful, but I don't necessarily mm-hmm. think that I feel like if you use it as written, it could turn into a unit study, and I don't recommend using it that way. Using it to their advantage. Um, but it will walk you through almost the whole book in a year. More important, not everything, but 
all parts of it. And I think more than that, it just gets you familiar with it and comfortable. Then it becomes, you know, just a part of your homeschool. That's great. I think that's going to be a great resource resource for people. If you want to go a little deeper, then I recommend a couple extras. I think it's really great that you can now buy a copy of the Furneaux Nature Study Guide because this was listed in the Charlotte Mason programs. It was impossible to find until I think it was last year that it was republished. So that's really exciting. Okay, then I also really highly recommend the John Muir Law's Guide to Nature Drawing and journaling, which we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but then another really cool book that some people don't know about is Botany in a Day. Have you seen that one? No, I haven't. Okay, it's really cool. Um, just because, well, at least for me, I didn't know anything about botany. And it just seemed like, you know, how can I get familiar with five million different plants? Mm-hmm but it just groups them into their families and you learn the key for each family and then you can recognize those and then you're, you already know a lot about the plant, just knowing what family it's in. That's genius. I know. Right. And then depending on the field guide you're using, sometimes the exact thing that you're looking for is not in there or you don't know enough about the terminology that they're using to be able to positively ID it. But if you can positively ID a certain family, that goes a long way toward understanding what you're looking at. Thanks for sharing that resource with us. All of these titles I will get into the show notes and share with all of you. Was there more on that? Well, I wouldn't put these in the category of nature lore, but just like resources about nature work, designate a shelf of your library for nature books. <laughs> mm-hmm. Separate from the field guide shelf, because you definitely need a field guide shelf. But okay, I have one other book I think would be good to add, and that's The Living Page by Lori Busfader. The first half is about why we keep notebooks in general and other people who have kept notebooks throughout history. So if you don't see the point of writing all these things down, you know, you could just take a picture with your phone or um, you could just look it up on the internet if you need to know what a bluebird looks like or something like that. Just understanding the miraculous learning to see process, that was a really amazing book uh, for me. But then I also really like encourage people that are new to nature notebooks to look at other professionals' nature notebooks And that is really great because you can see the variety of styles and that can help you to kind of develop your own style and just what you're attracted to and help you kind of feel more comfortable leaning into that. And this is an okay way of keeping a nature notebook. Mm, That is helpful. The one that Charlotte Mason quotes, she even says that you can keep your nature notebook in the style of Gilbert White. So he wrote a book about um, the Natural History of Selborne. Uh, and then there's uh, a Sierra Club guide to sketching in nature by Kathy Johnson. View from a sketchbook by Baston. And then the ever-famous Country Diary of an Edwardian Lady by Edith Holden, and also Nature Notes of an Edwardian Lady. Same author. Then there's a newer one called The Naturalist Notebook by Will Wright and Heinrich. And then Janet Marsh's Nature Diary. And then Claire Walker Leslie's Keeping a Nature Journal. 
So those are all pretty different from each other in style. Yeah. Well, and John Muir Laws. And then Nicole Hanfield. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yep. Yeah. That's up there for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, I think the individual, you just develop your style the more you do it, probably. Sure. And you get sure. comfortable and you know what you like to see and what you like to include and how you want to lay your page out. Well, you personally, do you like to do your sketch first and then go back and write notes later? This is a really interesting question because it's pretty common, and I totally did this, um, to write notes from another resource, like from a field guide or even from the internet. But I feel pretty strongly now that it's not that you can never add anything, but mostly your nature notebook should consist of notes of your own observations. And mm -hmm. I think it's okay if that is not always happening at the beginning because you it's kind of like you haven't read enough nature lore. You don't know what to look for. And then as you're going through the field guide and it says, you know, like how many petals? Oh, I didn't know to count the petals. Or <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. How many sepals? I don't even know what a sepal is. I certainly didn't yeah. count them. You know, so there is some back and forth with the resource at the beginning. But in general, it's better if you write what you smelled, what you felt, and certainly what you saw, rather than what the field guide told you about the growing habits of this plant. So I do try to write them right then. Okay. I usually write them kind of quickly and maybe not my best handwriting in a pencil. And then... Once I've kind of got an idea of where things are going to go or how much I wanted to say about that or ink it with a pen and erase the pencil later in a little bit nicer handwriting if I have time. That's probably a good thing to clarify there. And John Muir Laws talks a lot about that, just the observation work that you're doing. Well, and that is the beauty really of the drawing that it teaches you really what to look for because in a sense, I mean, you can't paint it without knowing how many petals there are or what color the petals are, or even, you know, if you're looking carefully or if you're doing it close enough, how many stamen there are. While for the facial club, you might be placing something 12 feet away. Mm -hmm. Usually for my nature notebook, I'm right up close on it. And so I'm, especially for the botany things, I'm looking really detailed. And mm -hmm when you're trying to paint that, you have to count them and you have to, you know, look a little closer. And so you might look at something in a vague way, but until you try to paint it, you don't really see it closely enough to know what it looks like in your mind. Well, Nicole, to wrap up here, I just wondered if we could talk about really why we do this, why we take the time to read the nature lore and to take the notebook out in the field and to do sketching and writing these observational notes, being out in nature. What is the point and what is keeping us going here? Okay, well, full disclosure, I'm a recovering indoor girl. I mean, I did not grow up around nature really, or at least not paying attention to it. So this is relatively new for me. I mean, I do appreciate that the practice of drawing and and seeing makes me a better artist. I use that word in quotes. <laughs> but also learning about the science, I think that's cool too. But I just love that it connects me with God. And I, I feel like I see things that I would not have seen, I did not see before. I feel like my spiritual 
lesson for this decade is gratitude. You really cannot be grateful for what you don't notice. You know, I feel like this spills over into, you know, other parts of my life. Like, like, why should I complain about the laundry? I get to do the laundry, you know? And so Mm -hmm. it's just, it's um, just noticing things and being grateful for them. That's a spiritual habit. I just like um, not taking things for granted and just intentionally thanking God for things. I mean, he's extravagant in his love and just over the top. I mean, the colors and the sounds and the smells. I mean, who would who would come up with this stuff? Yeah. And just the variety and the patterns too. I mean, it's just amazing. I agree. It's <laughs> so worship inducing. Like you said before too about the the feedback loop. Even with praise and worship like the more you notice, the more you're worshiping, and the more you're worshiping, the more you notice. And exactly, never would I have thought that doing this was going to have this outcome. I'm sure you didn't either. No, I mean, if you would have told me 10 years ago that I would be like in love with a blade of grass or like a little violet growing in, the, in a field, that I would spend 20 minutes or longer looking at it, I would have thought you were crazy. But blades of grass are really interesting. They are. <laughs> In all seasons. A friend of mine, a local friend, she said, it's called an I make fire moment. <laughs> like, I was able to make this thing on my paper look like the thing I was looking at. That is amazing. Who wouldn't want that in their life? Yeah. Oh, it's like magic. It is. It's amazing. It's so cool. Hey, you saw my lemon. I I am interested in researching drawing. I am not actually good at drawing. (laughs) (laughs) Nicole wanted to share a Francis Bate article from the Parents Review. Okay, so it says, It would seem that the sense of sight has been more neglected than any other, that the proper study of the art of picture painting has not only been widely misunderstood in its character, but generally disregarded in practice. I feel sure that to those whose powers of observation have been neglected in this matter, one of the most useful chapters in the book of nature has remained unread, and that those who have left it so have lost, perhaps forever, the pleasure of the most confidential, the most sympathetic, most spiritual of nature's communications. Those who have failed to educate the organ of sight that it may mark and appreciate the appearance of nature, most assuredly miss the advantage of its quickening connection with the other faculties, and how much soever knowledge and power they may possess, it is less and less applicable than it might have been. Mm, The sharpening of the other faculties. Right. It just makes you more awake to everything. With every spring, uh, it just seems like, it's just that much springier. Like everything is amplified. I mean, buds. Buds. I, I think if someone is new to this right now, they should do a special study on buds and it will change your life, I promise. Because the, the bare trees are not all the same. They, they are so different if you look carefully. And I mean, you might think it is so boring to put twigs, like sticks, sticks in your nature notebook. They are very different and you can cut them open with a pocket knife and look at them under a little pocket microscope 
It is amazing. That's a whole other world. <laughs> You're missing out, Dallas. Well, Nicole, this has been a pleasure talking with you. I really enjoyed it. So thanks for letting my listeners hear and get your perspective on things. Thank you for all that you have done in all the work that you have done. You're always so willing to share. Thanks, Dallas. I really appreciate having someone else who wants to talk about drawing and nature notebooks. This has been really, really fun. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. I appreciate it. Hey, go follow Nicole over on Instagram at Handfield Shalom. You can follow me on Instagram, if you don't already, at Bestowing the Brush. You can also email me, and if you want to be in this month's Thistle Club, definitely email me that photograph of your painting at bestowingthebrush at gmail.com. As a reminder to all of you in the Thistle Club, the submission cutoff for this month of May's fresco-style flower paintings are next week already. Can you even believe it? May 22nd at 6 p.m. Central Time is when I will cut things off. I can't wait to see. And then you can expect to see the entries along with my comments on them by that Friday. Happy painting, everyone, and I'll see you in two weeks. There should be a who's who in the parents' review. Oh my goodness, can we make a guess who game? (laughs) I want to see bios of all these folks. Someone needs to get on that.